Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Open our eyes and our ears to the things that you want us to see. There is so much here, Father, that you want to teach us. May we be enlightened. May your spirit guide us and direct us into all truth. And Father, may we continue to be set apart as a people holy to you. In your son, Yahushua's name, we give thanks. Amen. Bev, can I get you and Mom to come up so I can enter? Yeah, can you both come up here? So, uh, or otherwise I've got to come. I can go to them. The camera can follow. Yeah, I'm going to go to them. Can you? He's not there. Okay, it's all right. Come on up here. Dave, Dave stepped away for a second. So many of you saw my mom dancing. My mom is going to be 104 here in a few months. Her, her name is Ruby and my sister Beverly. They are uh, visiting and going to be with me for an extended stay. Is there anything you want to say? I owe it all to God. Amen. He is my everything. Hallelujah. I don't have a mother. Mother passed away when I was seven years old and I live with Papa. On the farm and the cows and the horses. Amen. And God, yes. Okay, Bev, would you like to say something? Well, it's good to be with you again and to see this newlyweds. I've been watching you on, on the Saturday <laughs> uh, podcast or live ta- uh, show. It's good to be with God's people, no matter where they are in the world. I've been in several different churches all over the world, and I just am grateful when I'm in the presence of God's people, people that love God with all their heart. Thank you for letting me be a part of y'all. Amen. Okay. Thanks, Mom. You guys go back, you go back to your seat. Okay. You want to take her back to her seat? Okay. All right. So my mom is uh, a very special lady. I, uh, we had, uh, yes, we, we've, my mom and I had, so I came to my mom born in her older years, and she was totally gray-headed when I was born, and she felt the enemy telling her, oh, look, everyone's laughing at you. Here's a gray-headed woman having a, a new baby. And she says, her statement is that I became a joy to her in her old age. So, uh, she and I have always had this playful uh, fighting around, wrestling around that we have done. And I tell her now, she wants to do it. And I said, Mom, I'm a loser no matter what happens here. I mean, I can't can't win either way. So, I've just got to just cover up and cower up because (laughs) if you get hurt, I'm the bad guy. So, uh, but she's very... Spunky and feisty and very strong, 
at her age, I guarantee you. None of my sisters want to mess with her because she'll put them down real quick. Okay, so, uh, and me too. So what are we going to talk about today? So we're going to talk about, the, obviously, the altar, the oil, the incense. We're going to talk about the, the temple tax and some interesting things. So let's get started. As, as we did last week, I like it doing, going into the Torah portion first. And so in Exodus 30, verse 12, it says, If you take the count of the sons of Israel in the review, and I'm reading out of the Septuagint, the Greek portion, that he shall also give a ransom for his soul to Yahuwah, and there shall not be damage among them. Your English Bible says plague, but that's one of the reasons I bring up the Greek, because it's saying some things different that opens your eyes of what damage. Um, in their review... So they're being reviewed here, right? This, like, you could say like a census. And this is what they shall give. As many as pass along the review, the half of the shekel, which is according to the holy shekel, the shekel is 20 obols. Now the half of the shekel is a what? It's a tax for Yahuwah. It's very interesting because if you have questions or comments, raise your hand. We can get the microphone to you and give some comments. So I want to remind you of what Matthew 17, 24 says. When they came to Peter, who, those who received the tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? Notice, the tax. And he said, Yes. And when he came to the house, Yahushua spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Shimon, from whom do the sovereigns of the earth? And here's the key you've got to pay attention to. He's not talking about the sovereign in heaven. He says the sovereigns of the earth take toll or tax. Because the one we read a while ago, it's the sovereign up above that's collecting the tax. Here he's referring to the sovereigns of the earth. From their own sons or from strangers? And Peter said to them, from the strangers. And Yahushua said, then the sons are exempt. But lest we cause them to stumble, go to the sea, cast in a hook, take the fish that comes up first, and when you have opened its mouth, you'll find a whole shekel. Because what are they giving? They're giving a half a shekel. So... Now we have a whole shekel that will cover both him and Peter to cover the tax. So again, you see the master walking out things, even though it's not being done the way he called it to be done, he's still going to pay, give the tax that's called for amongst the nation. So here we see this still going on. Now, I don't see him saying, well, all this is going to be done away with in a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, we don't really need to do this. Uh, all law is going to be done away with. Uh, we don't need to do this. No, he's following what he said, even though it's the sovereigns of the earth asking for it, no longer coming from him above. Okay, again, raise your hand if you have questions. So we're going to talk about, I've got about three slides, maybe four slides. We're going to talk about this tax and what has happened since Yahushua died and how this has kind of been worked out. Go ahead, Bob. In Exodus thirty thirteen, it talks about the half shekel, mm-hmm. and the word half in Hebrew is makazit. So it's mem, ket, zadi, yod, tav. And when you look at that, the zadi is in the middle, and it means righteous. Yes. When you look at the preceding letter to the zadi, it's a het, and the following one is a yod, which is kai, for life. If you look at the first and last letter in that word of makazit, it is a mem and a tav. 
and that means mute. So when you are walking in righteousness, you're covered with life. The closer you are to righteousness, the further you, the closer you are to life, and the farther you're away from death because it's on the outskirts. But then when you're just reading here in the in the uh, Matthew, in regards to catching a fish and opening its mouth, you it seems unusual that you want to go fishing and catch a fish and get a <laughs> coin out of the mouth. Yeah. If that was real, we'd be allotted down by the Tempe Town Lake with our rods and reels. <laughs> but if you look at it in the Hebrew. If you look back in in Exodus 30, 12, when it says a ransom for himself, the word himself in Hebrew is nafsho. And when you look at that and look at the letters, the nun, the pei, the sheen, and the vav, which is himself, nafsho, the pictograph of nun means fish, pei is mouth, the sheen for show is the first letters in shekel, and how do you catch a fish is a hook, is a valve. So in that word for himself is not show. Catch a fish in its mouth, you will find a shekel because you caught it with a hook. Yeah. Awesome. Wow. Good catch. That's great. Praise the Almighty. So some questions. We're going to look at how this shekel thing played out because there's, a, there's some things in here that you need to see that are very interesting that God instituted this for a reason. And so let's look and see what it says. So the Zionist movement at its first Congress in 1897 revived the shekel as a common expression of the support for the land of Israel. The number of shekel holders became an indication of the strength of the political Zionist movement. There were 165,000 in 1907 and 2,160,000 in 1946. Now just to give you an idea, in today's money, you can just say that half shekel would be about, let's say, eight bucks, or let's or let, somewhere around eight dollars. So take eight dollars times two million one hundred and sixty thousand, and they'll give you an idea how much they were able to collect for everything at that time. And everybody's everybody's only given eight bucks, but it's the collective of the number that now we're talking, you know in the millions of dollars to go towards the sanctuary and, the, and all that God is doing. So, very big amount of money. Why was the sum chosen for expiation fixed at one half shekel? And here's just some commentary on it, just their opinion, not saying it's true, but just interesting thoughts. Because Joseph had been sold into Egypt by his brothers for 20 dinars, that is five shekels. There being 10 brothers... This amounted to a profit of a half a shekel for each brother. Another explanation is that the expiation for the sin of the golden calf. Though this sin is told later in chapter 32, the comment is based on the sages' principle that the Torah is not always arranged in chronological order. Interesting thoughts. The shekel in later ages. In the days of the monarchy, the shekel tax had become a permanent institution. And its proceeds, together with other free will offerings, were used to maintain and repair the temple. Now, the money coming in is used for keeping things maintained. Now, how many of you remember that they came and found uh, the Torah with dust all over it? And like, what the heck is this book here? It's got dust all over it. Find out it's the word of Elohim. Well, if there's dust on the Torah scroll, what do you think is going on in everywhere else? Probably haven't done anything in here in who knows how long. So 
obviously now when they realize what's going on, what they need to do, there's got to be some repairs, okay? Since the shekel tax was due on the first of the first month, the rabbis ordained that this section be read as an added Torah portion about the, a month before, on the Shabbat before the new moon of Adar, or on the new moon itself if it fell on the Shabbat. Because of this added reading, the Shabbat has been known as the Shabbat Shekalim. So just interesting thoughts the way our brother Judah has uh, rendered things and has taken this shekel tax. I wanted to mention something that Bob brought up. He said that this word in the middle has got the zadi in it, right? So remember Ralphie said this is called what? A zadaka box. He said the, it's for righteousness, which is zadik, right? And so why is it called uh, the zadaka box? Because, and again, associated with the money that comes in, it is righteousness whenever we do what God says. He says to bring your tithes, bring your offerings. So when we do the things that God says, it's righteousness to us, right? So it's called the box of righteousness that you're, you're fulfilling what God's asked you to do. It's an interesting note. One of the Talmudic treatises is called Shekalim, and the, and the Christian New Testament noted that Peter paid the tax for both him and the master. It became a custom at Purim time to contribute a half of the current major coin in North America, one half dollar to the poor in honor of the festival. Now, the reason I put this in there is because this is what's interesting. The Jews outside of Israel were as zealous in their contribution of this temple tax as the inhabitants of Judea. Anti-Semites, in consequence, even raised the cry that the Jews were sending too much money out of their own countries. So let's say Germany, the people were sending tax money over to Israel, and they're all getting upset. You're sending money that should be here over in Israel. And they're getting mad and, and causing issues because money is leaving the country and going over to Israel. Isn't that absolutely ridiculous? The people can do what they want with their money, right? But the governments want the money for themselves. Isn't that the way people are? One of the Roman provincial governors who seized these offerings was defended by Cicero in an anti-Jewish speech, after the destruction of the temple, the Jews of the empire were compelled to pay this contribution to the temple of Jupiter at Rome. When this iniquitous tax was eventually abolished, the contribution from the Jews in the diaspora was used for the support of the rabbinical academies of Palestine. So can you imagine... Telling everybody, yeah, you were paying that tax to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but now we want you to give that money to this new temple here uh, that we've instituted to Jupiter. You need to pay attention to these things because what happens? Do we see things in the Bible repeat and come back again? This stuff, you may see this happen again. So it's nice to know history because it could come back. Everyone who passes along for the review from 20 years and upward shall give the tax. What's the age? 20 years. It's interesting. What's the fighting age? Well, here, but in Scripture, it's like 20 or 21. I forget now. It's one of the two. It's 20 or 21. 20, yeah, 20, so it's the, the fighting age. Everyone 20. So the wealthy person will not increase. The poor person will not decrease. The half the, the, the shekel when giving the tax to Yahweh to make atonement for your souls. Interesting words. You shall take the silver. Why silver? Silver is what? Silver is always represented as 
redemption money. It's the money used for atonement. Now, it says, You shall take the silver of the tax from the sons of Israel, give it to the labor costs of the tent of witness, and for the sons of Israel it shall be a remembrance before Yahuwah to make atonement for your souls. So here's money coming in, right? Get this in your mind. And these are the two bronze lavers. The one on the right is the one that was at the tabernacle. The big one with the bulls is the one that Solomon made. And you shall make a basin of bronze with its stand also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar and shall put water in it. You know, something I learned about this uh, when we first came to Torah I was so against everything that was a graven image, and then I realized that here you've got a graven image, but they're not worshiping that graven image. What's interesting is, in the temple, in the tabernacle and temple, what was carved inside? Cherubim. Is that an image of a man? Yeah. Some of you say it was an angel. It's got wings, it's got the face of... So, here we've got images that were carved, but the thing is they're not worshiping the image, they're worshiping the one that's between the cherubim. So I came to realize that my stance on these carved things isn't so much about the carved thing, it's about what you're doing with it. That's the thing. So keep that in mind whenever you're reading the scriptures. That hopefully you'll see some of the things that I saw that I was maybe a little too zealous in my stance here about something carved. Just some food for thought. By the way, in the, if you look at Ezekiel, same thing. You'll see carved stuff going on inside. Uh, there's palm trees. Verse 19, And Aaron and his son shall wash from it their hands and their feet. John 13, 8, Peter said to him, By no means shall you wash my feet ever. Yeshua answered him and said, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Remember last week we talked about the ordination of the priesthood? Here we've got the priests washing their hands and feet, and I believe that Yeshua is, is, is bringing it home to what's about to happen through the ordination, that I must, as the high priest, I must wash your hands and feet because you're about to go forward and do the service for the kingdom. This must be done because my Father in heaven has asked for it. Never caught that before until this week, that the connection here between the master telling them, I've got to wash your hands and feet. You're about to go do the work of the kingdom. You're being set apart. You're being anointed. The, 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 the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to speak in other languages. You're going to do mighty things. You're going to raise the sick. You're gonna, all these things are going to happen by your hand because the Spirit and the, the Word is going forth with you. Exodus 38, 26. This one, this one made the bronze wash basin, basin, basin and its bronze base from the mirrors of the women who fasted, who fasted by the doors of the tent of witness in the day he pitched it. I want to remind you what we read last week. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow, until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Exactly the way that the women were doing here, that this 
bronze laver was made from their mirrors. Mirrors, obviously, that was in their tent. But again, they're using these women who have dedicated themselves to continual fasting and prayer at the door of the tent of witness. Interesting stuff. How important is it to fast and pray? Very important, isn't it? Uh, We're going to take a, before we jump to our prophet portion, um, could you have something you want to share about the anointing oil? And then Bob, if you have something else to share, you can get ready to Um, I was noticing that um, all the the four oils mentioned all have medical properties. Um, Myrrh is a powerful antioxidant, anti-tumoral, anti-inflammatory, antibacterial, antiviral, anti-parasitic, as well as an analgesic. Um, It was mentioned in some of the oldest um, medical records (laughs) from Egypt. And then cinnamon... Um, is also was uh, listed in Europe's first authoritative guide to medicines. And its properties are anti-inflammatory, powerfully antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal, anticoagulant, circulatory stimulant, and stomach protectant for ulcers, and antiparasitic. And then cane... um, that is, that's how it's called in the new King James. In the um, earlier King James, it was um, uh, Calamus, C-A-L-A-M-U-S, commonly known as Sweet Flag. And it, uh, this uh, reference says it may have been uh, the biblical uh, oil of Exodus 30.23. Um, it's originally found in India and Arabia. Its medical properties also antibacterial, a sedative, um, expectorant, antispasmodic, and uh, a bronchial dilator. Wow. And then the um, cassia. And that, um, yeah, I mentioned the finding that uh, one was a little more difficult. Um, cassia. Is rich in biblical history and is mentioned in one of the oldest known medical records, um, the Ebers Papyrus, dating from the 6th century BC, and ancient um, Egyptians list as well. And it's also anti inflammatory, antifungal, antibacterial, antiviral, and anti collagen. Okay. And used uh, for cataracts, fungal infections, and uh, diabetes. So all of these have um, antifungal, antibacterial, all of these things. Yeah, that's no wonder. The Almighty made all these things. He knows what needs to be used, right, for the anointing oil. And these things aren't to be mixed and used for any purpose. It's a special mixture. Yes, Raphael. I like to um, find ways that we could um, fulfill these things and currently. And um, so I was doing some reading, and 
we're a kingdom of priests, and Yeshua is our, um, our high priest, right? So in order to uh, enter the, the priest, in order to enter into the um, tent of meeting, they had to sacrifice. Then they had to wash themselves in a the bronze basin. <clears throat> we as priests nowadays, our lives are a living sacrifice. And then so I was looking at, well, how does the uh, bronze, um, the bronze brazen apply, or where, where could we find that? So I was looking at Ephesians 5, um, chapter 5, 25 through 26, and it says, Husbands, love your wives just as uh, Messiah also loved the church assembly and gave himself up for her so that he might sac- uh, sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So <clears throat> also in Psalms 119.9, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Amen. So we, um, we could wash ourselves when, before we do our prissy duties. That's right. As we go into this world by washing ourselves with his word. And how, the, how that applies is that before we go do our prissy duties, we, in the mornings, we read his word. And it helps us and it guides us. It, it actually cleanses us because it teaches us to live a more holy life. And um, that's one thing that I've been doing a lot lately is before I start work, I'll read at least 10 minutes in the morning times. So it just kind of sets me up for the rest of the day. Amen. As I'm going through it. So that's how I think, how I feel we can apply as priests today, how we can apply that. Great stuff. Yeah, we're, we're set apart. We're, we're, we're representatives of the Holy One, the King of heaven and earth. Why shouldn't we be making sure that we're in the proper mental, physical state, all of these things that he says it should be? Okay. In our prophet portion, uh, well, it's actually not in our prophet portion, but I'm using this for a reason, and it has to do with altars. And Gideon built an altar there to Yahuwah, called it Yahuwah Shalom. Now remember, there's places in the scriptures that you'll see Yode Vafe and then a character trait like Yahweh Nisi or uh, you know, Yahweh Shalom or uh, Yahweh Zekanu. You'll see these character traits of who he is right next to his name. And here's one of them. He's calling this Yahweh Shalom. To this day it is still in Ophrah of the Abizarites. Let me ask you a question. This that Gideon is doing, he's building an altar. Is he building this altar while there's an altar standing either at the tabernacle or the temple? The answer to you is, he is. So I'm going to show you in a minute the timeline of history. This is during the time of the judges. When they came in the land, where did the tabernacle go? Shiloh in Ephraim's territory. It stood there until David brought it to Jerusalem 400 years later. So when Gideon is building this altar, my point is, why didn't he go to the place that he chooses to place name that all offerings should come to? And it's showing you that the men of the day built altars in other places other than that place 
where his name was chosen to place his name. The reason I'm saying that is, are you allowed to build an altar today? Did Abraham build an altar when there was no temple standing? Did uh, Manoah and his wife build an altar and offer an offering on it? Were they at the tabernacle or the temple? No. So I'm bringing that up because I'm going to give you another example. What is the deeper significance of Gideon's altar? Not only was it a symbol of peace that alleviated his fear of being in God's presence, it also resulted in Gideon tearing down the altar to the pagan fertility god Baal, including the goddess Asherah, which is grove, the consort of Baal, that existed in his family's home. He's tearing down the false pagan stuff in his home, and he's going to now erect something that's holy to God and offer a holy offering to the one true Almighty. Yes. If we choose to build an altar, do we, don't we have to do it out of uncut stones? That's correct. Okay. But yep. we, so we can build one if our heart is led to, just wherever we are? And, and I would say that I'm seeing a biblical example that it's, they're doing it. And, of course they knew exactly what was supposed to go on it. So here's the, here's the caution, is he wants a precise amount of, of flour on it. He wants a precise amount of grain. He wants a precise amount of oil, a precise amount of, of uh, uh, libation offering on it. I mean, these things were to a T. And what, what you don't, if, if you're going to do it, you're going to want to study this out because the last thing you want to do is get up there and get ready to do something. All of a sudden, you don't want that to happen. It can't be strange, right? It, this can't be anything that's inappropriate. You're coming before a holy God. It better be the way, we better approach him the way that he asked to be approached. And some may say, well, I'm going to choose to just do it from the fruit of my lips. Fine. You can do that. I mean, obviously, the fruit of our lips have been standing for 2,000 years. I'm just showing you that I used to think that it was only when the temple or the, or the tabernacle was standing, they didn't do it anywhere else. But that's not true. I'm going to show you another example. Who has the... Yes, go ahead. So obviously there's a difference between an altar and a memorial? Yes. Okay. Yep. And he's offering a sacrifice on this altar. We're going to see another example of that here in a minute. Now, 2 Kings 12.4, which is our prophet portion, says... Yehoash said to the priests, all the money of the holy things that is brought into the house of Yehoah, remember, this is temple tax and other things, but I, there's more than temple tax here. I'm going to show you that there's, there's money coming in that's not temple tax. The money from the assessment of persons and the money that a man's heart prompts him to bring into the house. So we've got the money that's coming from the temple tax, and we've got the money that's coming in from people whose heart moves upon them. I just want to give an offer, a free will offering. Not something that's required. This is over and above of my free will of my heart wants to give. And remember the guy that, that uh, left just one stalk of grain to feed everybody instead of the whole corn of the field. He's fulfilling the law, but no heart in it. 
Now, all of us can say, oh, we tithe. We're fulfilling the law. But how many times do we go over and above and bring a free will over and above? Is my point in, in, in saying this. And so it says, and that's two of them. So I'm going to show you a third one. And Yahweh let the priest take each from his donor and let them repair the house wherever they need of repairs is discovered. 2 Kings 12, 16, going down a little further, it says, the money from the guilt offerings and the money from the sin offerings. Wait a minute. The money from the guilt offering and sin offering, what are they talking about? I mean, they bring the animal. What's, where's he getting the money thing? I'm going to explain that. Was not brought into the house of Yahweh, it belongs to the priests. Leviticus 5.14 says, Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of Yahweh, he shall bring to Yahweh as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock, valued in silver shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. In other words, Remember in Deuteronomy, it says that if, the, if it's too far for you to go, you can sell your, your animal and bring the money. So it wasn't just the animal that they brought. Some people brought uh, the, the actual value of the animal in shekels, and instead of obviously, obviously burning it, they brought it into the, the, the storehouse to be used for what needed to be done in the, in the temple or the tabernacle. So it's very interesting. God's about taking care of all things, but he needs the people to be able to do what they're called to do to do so. Okay. In 1 Kings, our prophet portion, says, Elijah came near to the people. You heard me read it earlier. And he said, how long will you push keem between two sepim? How long will you go limping, the, the, the Greek says, how long will you go limping on both legs? Where does, where does this idiom, where does this expression come from? How can we understand the idea of hesitating between two opinions or limping on both legs? The plural word noun, sipim, is found once in the Tanakh and represents two definitions. First, it literally signifies crutches, which are made from the branches of trees thus illustrating limping on two uneven or unequal legs of opinion. In other words, the guy couldn't find two crutches that were the same, so he's, he's going like this. Can you imagine trying to go around on two crutches that were at different lengths? This would be a hard thing to do. The two crutches represent divided opinions between Baal and Yahuwah, about which Elijah implored the people to decide. Yes. Say, Go ahead um, in the mic. I was going to say that um, if you do your research, um, you only have to do tithes uh, to the Levitical tribe of Levite, of the Levites. So there's actual, there's actual Kohens out there from the, from the Levitical, and they have to be like actually from that like blood-related Levites. Yeah. So that's, that's, if you do your research, that's where you go pay your tithes, yep. and you're, you're required to pay your tithes there. Amen. Okay. So what does it mean uh, in the hesitate? It means to pass over, to leap, limp, limping. But the Greek word really gets it down. It says to walk uncertainly, to vacillate, to, in other words, I'm just not, kind of like when you guys pull up to a restaurant and it's got a big menu and you're trying to decide, right? Especially if it's you and someone else and one says, I want this and one wants that. So what, what God is, what he 
Elijah is saying, and we're going to bring this down to a really important point here in a minute, is he's saying, look, you've got, you've got YouTube telling you this, and you've got this pastor and preacher telling you this on YouTube, and you've got this telling you that, and some of this stuff is contradicting what you're reading in my word. Now, I remember the Almighty showing me when my eyes were opened up to the Torah. I'm like, but, you know, gosh, I was taught this all my life. And what I hear in my ear was, if they don't match which one's right, what I said or what they've said. Because if they're contradicting one another, one's got to be right. Make your choice, me or them. And that's what's happening here. Make your choice. Yes, Joe. Yes, it's like the wind is rising uh, to and fro, you know. Uh, who are you going to listen to? You're going to listen to the tradition of men, or are you going to listen to the Holy Spirit? Yep. Or listen to what my word says, which the Holy Spirit will validate and will never go contrary to. You know, people will say, well, the Holy Spirit told me this. And you know that what they're saying is con- contradicting what the Word says. And then you've got to say, I would, I would encourage you, what spirit are you listening to? Because the Spirit of God's never going to take you contrary to His own Word. They're in unity, doing what He said to do. Their job is to fulfill the words of the Master. That's what they do. Yes. Um, I, can't, I forgot what the Word is called, but... Um... When you you learn from other people, because I was a Mormon for like 40 years, so <laughs> when I read the Word of God, um, I thought it meant a certain thing. So you could read it, but unless you, I guess you do some really, really good praying and so forth, um, sometimes, I forgot what the Word is, but you when you read the Word, you come with your own pre um pre-mindset of what it's saying so i mean it's hard to escape that but it can be done so i want to take you to this other verse going on in first kings 18 it says if yahweh is elohim follow him but if it's baal follow him and they didn't say a thing but watch this look what the greek says if yahweh is elohim go after him but if it's Baal, go after him. The word in Hebrew is lehu akre, and it means walk like him. If Yahweh is the true Elohim, walk like he walks. If it's that false god, then go ahead and walk like he walks. And it reminded me of Amos 3.3. Will two in any way walk together unless they are acquainted or in agreement with each other? And this is what he's saying. I mean, if the Catholic Church is God, as he says he is, then do what he says. He said Sunday's the day. Go ahead, do what he says. Follow him. But if God Almighty is God, he said it is Shabbat, the seventh day. Do what he says. And that's really what we come down to. And we can break it down to everything that the church says versus what God says because there's disagreements here and there can only be one right answer. All right? Walk like he walks.
Did someone have their hand up? Yeah, just to add to what you're saying, uh, unfortunately, Satanism has infiltrated even the churches, Yes. right? This is why you see the um, rainbow, which God made for us, though. But <laughs> you see it on these churches to represent the uh, confused people. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just calling them confused. <laughs> um, but yeah, with this being infiltrated, we have to, as children of light, walk like our walk. father because yes. we can't walk like the the people of this world or the confused people because satan is the author of confusion and yeshua is making a statement you got the rabbis teaching one thing and oftentimes contradicting what god has said and he says i only do what my father does i'm walking like he walks i'm only speaking as he speaks i'm talking like he talks you don't see me doing what they do and speaking what they i'm doing from above you're doing what man is saying big deal and Eliyahu, Elijah said to the people, I alone am left as a prophet to Yahuwah, but the prophets of all are 450. Do you guys feel like sometimes you're all alone in this walk? I can assure you, you're not. You're not. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, the, our, our brother Judah does this on, on Pesach every year. They pull up a chair for Elijah. Uh, actually, when a, when a new baby is being circumcised, when a baby boy is being circumcised, they pull up a chair for Elijah, and they say, look, Elijah, another new one is coming into the kingdom. Another new one is coming in. You're not alone. This cir- he's, we're, being cir- we're following what God said. You're not the only one following from above, okay? It's really a cool thing. You're, we're not alone. Now, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces. Let them lay it on the wood, but don't set any fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull. I'll lay it on the wood and I'll set no fire. You're going to call on the name of your mighty one and I'm going to call on the name of Yahuwah. And the Elohim who answers by fire, he's the boss. So all the people answered and said, man, that sounds like a good idea. We're pretty confident that our God's going to answer and show up. Boy, wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Now, this happens where? Mount Carmel. Where's Mount Carmel? Anybody been there? You know? Mount Carmel is right next to Megiddo in the northern kingdom, up at the Valley of Jezreel, just, just a little south uh, east or west of Yeshua's hometown of Nazareth. People like this idea. I'm going to read you Exodus 24.5. He sent young men of the sons of Israel and they offered burnt offerings and sacrifices, young bulls as peace offerings to Yahuwah. Elijah is at the time before the northern kingdom is taken. The kingdoms have split. My question to you is the temple standing in Jerusalem? Yes. And Elijah's building an altar at Carmel. And yet there's a temple in Jerusalem. How is he allowed to build an altar in Carmel when it, there's one over there in Jerusalem that we would think that it's, that's the only place you could bring an offering? But evidently that can't be true because Elijah is building one here and God is so pleased with what he's doing of course, he's doing it at his request. Fire comes down and 
does an amazing thing. We'd all love to be there and see it. I'm pointing that out to you to show you that like Gideon, here's another example of an altar being built when the one that God said, this is the place for my name, there's another one being built. Yes. I just have a question. Sure. Why do you think that um, there's not a lot of mention in the New Testament once Yeshua is here about the altars being built individually, kind of like they are in the Old Testament? You say it one more time as you were alone. <clears throat> Why do you think that there's not a lot of mention in the New Testament with Yeshua and the altars as opposed to the Old Testament where you see them more often? Well, I'm going to give you an example of the New Testament. So in Acts chapter 21, um, Paul comes down to Jerusalem to the council. And Paul is under Nazarite vow, you'll find in Acts 18. And he comes and shows up and they all say, say, you know... Paul, we've heard that you've been, you know, the rumor is from everybody, the false rumor is you've been teaching against Torah. But we know that's not true. But show everybody that it's false. We have four other guys that are under the same vow you are. And take these men to the temple and present the offerings that the Torah commands. So Paul goes, yeah, you got it. I'm going to take So Paul takes them. You see in Acts 21, he's down there. He's in front of the priest. He's at the altar. He's laying the wood on it. By the way, he's paying for four guys. So now that's five men offering. There's three, three animals for each guy. So that's 15 animals. Five gallons of oil, five gallons of wine, plus the other small things. This is an expensive thing. All to show that he's not teaching against Torah. And he's there getting ready to this happen. You know the story. They all show up ready to seize them because they're mad that the other guys aren't Jewish. Okay? And so here we have a, after the death and resurrection of Christ, they're making an offering here, doing a sacrifice in Acts chapter 21. Yeah. So there are some. And we just oftentimes miss it because we, you know, we just don't see it. Hopefully that answers your question. If not, I'd be glad to talk to you about some more after service. Okay? Yes. Yes, I would love to have been there. I can just hear the guy, hey, my God is bigger and better than your God. Okay, let's see. So, 1 King 23, you do this, and then I will do this. Then who will see who's the greater God of the two? I mean... All of us would have loved to have been there mocking the false gods and the, and the people that were falling. I mean, come on, cry a little louder. He, he just, he's asleep. He can't quite hear you. You know, come on, you've got to stir him up. Come on, make it loud. Come on, maybe it takes two hours. Maybe it's not just an hour. You, you, it's a little longer of crying out you've got to take. Elijah steps up with his turn, builds the whole thing, gets it ready. And before he can finish speaking, you, you know God's sitting there going, hurry up, get it built. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let him have it. He's ready. I believe that your God is waiting for us to stand up and proclaim truth and righteousness so that he can show that he's real. And that's, and that's what he did for Elijah. And Elijah said to the prophets of this is what the Greek says. In your English it says Baal, but 
in the, and Ward touched on this in the study on Tuesday, they're using a different name for the false god. It's the name shame. What'd you call it, uh, Ward? This dysphemism. Yeah, remember on Tuesday he talked about that? Well, here it is, right here in our prophet. So when he was talking about it, I was like, hey, that's in our prophet portion this week. They're using a different name for that false god, calling him uh, the, the prophets of shame instead of the prophets of Baal. So really interesting. So they took the bull, which was given them, prepared it, called on the name of their god from 9 a.m. until noon. The morning offering until noon. Answer us! No voice. They leaped around. Come on! <laughs> no answer. So it came at noon, and Eliyahu taunted them and said, Cry louder. He is a mighty one. He's meditating. He's busy. He's on a journey. He's asleep. He needs to be awakened. They cried louder, cut themselves, according to their rulings, with knives and spears until blood gushed out of them. And when it came to be, midday was passed, and they prophesied until the time of bringing the 3 p.m. offering. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. And Elijah said to all the people, come closer to me. And all the people came to him, and he repaired the altar of Yahuwah that had been broken down. And so he's got an altar. He's, prepared, he's building the altar of uncut stones. And he's building it up. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the 12 tribes of Yaakov, to whom the word of Yahuwah had come, saying, Israel is your name. And with the stones he built the altar in the name of the Lord? No. He built it in the name of Yahuwah. And he made a trench around the altar big enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood. That's probably a thing you want to pick up on if you're going to build an altar. You cut it in pieces. <laughs> laid it on the wood, and he said, Fill four jars of water, pour it on all the offering in the wood. Do it a second time. Do it a third time. Water flowed deep around the trench. And it came at the bringing of the evening offering when incense is over at the temple being burned on the golden altar. When the incense is rising up to the Most High at that 3 p.m. time when the angels were sent to Daniel, when the angel was sent to Cornelius, God says, go down. I'm going to light this thing and I'm going to set it on fire. I'm going to ignite it. I'm going to show them who the real God is today. And here's the word that we need to stick to today. Elijah says, answer me. Answer me, Yahuwah. And let this people know that you are Yahuwah Elohim. Why? So that you will turn their hearts back to you again. To turn their wayward, backsliding hearts back to you again. Yes. Hallelujah. I just wanted to point out for you guys that the word Lord actually means Baal <laughs> yeah. in the coordinates. So if we refer to as our mighty one, the Lord, then that might be an answer to if your prayers aren't getting answered or you're seeing, you know, yep. well, why is this happening to me? Help me. But yep. he won't respond to the Lord. If you, if you know his name is Yahuwah, then we have yep. to do what he said. And if your God is Yahuwah, yep. then walk as he walks. 
Okay. Yes, Raphael. So what he's saying is, in your English Bibles, L-O-R-D is what has been replaced for his real name, but L-O-R-D is also the way that you say Baal means L-O-R-D. Yes. So the 9 o'clock and 3 o'clock prayer, um, things can happen that are wonderful. Yes. I just had an experience uh, last week um, where I did the Shema at work. I kind of step away. But when I was finished, I turned around and there was a guy like staring at me. And I was like, oh, great. I hope you don't think I'm like Muslim <laughs> or something. <clears throat> so... I went back to work, and then a few hours later, a guy came up to me, and um, he, he was asking about my seat seats. He was like, what are those? And so I think the word was going around the, the shop, and it gave an opportunity for me. To, I spent like a good <laughs> minutes um, talking about the, um, the exodus and then uh, the word, I mean, that Yahweh um, commanded that they were to keep the Shabbat. And um, I, I noticed a change of the way they, ha- they present themselves around me because, you know, in construction, it can get pretty crude. So, yeah. So, it was a way in the witness to them. The same thing happened to me at 3 p.m. at my work when I would sit and, and give an offering at 3 p.m. And what happened to you and I at 3 p.m. in the workplace is the fires coming down and igniting in their hearts to want to know. The fire is being lit, coming down from heaven, wanting to know what's happening here because they've been touched by the fire from the, the Most High. What an awesome thing. And that fire is burning down the false things that are inside of them, burning it down, collapsing it. What a, what a testimony. So I'm going to show you here that you can see here uh, Mount Carmel is up here above Megiddo in the Valley of Jezreel. It's way up above Samaria. It's way up here, up in the high, way, just off from the Sea of Galilee. And then you see a black line coming down, which is the timeline. And this is all before the collapse of the northern kingdom, but it's after the split. And you can see that the line goes through Ahab, it goes through Elijah, it goes through Jezebel, and it goes through Elijah's uh, at Carmel and Horeb. So this is for sure when the temple is still standing over in Jerusalem and he's over there building an altar. So just wanted to point out to you, this is, this is really happening. And same thing with Gideon. We can look at the, at the timeline of, of the judges. It's there. Our New Testament portion is Romans 5.10 and it says, For if being enemies we were restored to favor with Elohim through the death of his son, much more having been restored to favor, we shall be saved by his life. Not only this, but we also exult in Elohim through our master, Yeshua Messiah, through whom we have now received the restoration to favor. And that's the key. We've all been restored to a place of having favor because favor's not coming if you're walking contrary to him. The favor can now, he's like, it's, it's like if you've ever had a big dog and the dog's wanting to get, you know, he's, he's chomping a bit to go somewhere. God's ready for the favor to let go. Finally, when he sees somebody doing what he says, he says, 
I can let that favor go. That favor goes down like the fire did. Got to have the, his kingdom, his word working in your life. You can't be a, a person going contrary to God. He wants to give favor. But we've been restored to receive favor. The favor doesn't, just because we accept Yeshua as our Messiah, doesn't mean we're always going to have favor. I can turn that that is appointed to me away from me by start doing things that I'm not supposed to do according to what he said. The key is, as it says in the New Testament, well done, my faithful servant, because I'm doing the things he asked me to do. The word for restoration is katalaso, and it's the exchange of the business of money changers to equivalent values, an adjustment of difference, reconciliation, restoration to favor, of the restoration of the favor of Elohim to sinners that repent and put their trust in the death of Messiah. So that's what restoration means in the day of Romans being written. Would you stand with me? So therefore, Peter can address the members of the churches to which he writes as elect exiles. He says to the churches he's going to, you are elect exiles who are sojourners on the way to the promised land. Let me tell you something. You are all elect exiles and you're on your way to the promised land. What an amazing thing that we're on that way. And on the note of prayer, let me share this with you. When you are confronted with a matter that requires immediate prayer, pray that your confidence be restored until with wholehearted sincerity you can thank Him for the answer. If you do not see the external answer immediately, do not pray for it in such a way that it is evident that you are not definitely believing Him for it. Remember that you are petitioning the great King. Remember who you're coming before. And Lisa and Donnie shared with me something. Uh, Tuesday, was it? On the Esdras? Okay. I have to show it to you because it's awesome. And take this with you as you go throughout the week because it's an awesome verse in to Esdras. And we can, when, we get, when I get done reading it, we can give a shout to the Almighty. Arise up and stand, as you just did. Behold the number of those that are sealed in the Feast of Yahuwah which are departed from the shadow of the world and have received the glorious garments of Yahuwah. Take thy number, O Zion. Shut up those of thine that are clothed in white who have fulfilled the Torah of Yahuwah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Father, we thank you so much for the word today. This is your people who have stood before you. They have fulfilled the words. They are going towards what you've called. They, are, they want in their heart for your Torah to be on their heart. They have the garments on. They have the ornaments on. Father, they're going with zeal towards you as the first century believers were doing. We're looking forward to that city. We're looking forward to you taking us to the land. We are that chosen elect exiles who you have scattered for a purpose that you're gathering for this final exodus to bring that number back to the place where your name is at where you've chosen to place your name 
We glorify you and praise you that we can give offerings to you today, even from the fruit of our lips, to magnify you and exalt you. Thank you, Father, for showing us the wonderful things of your word. We give you praise in your son Yeshua's name. Amen. Now we get to say, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Thank you all there. Have a blessed rest of your Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom.